Can I just can I just interject to clear the palate with a little anecdote about Steve Howie? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, can can you tell this on the on the show, or is this not a? Um, well, you might have to just bleep out one bit. Basically, <laughs> um, just one word at the end. But every time I hear Steve Howie's name, it always reminds me of um, back when he played for Newcastle. His um, brother Lee Howie played for Sunderland, and I've got a few mates who are Sunderland fans. And there was there's a song they had for Lee Howie. Uh, and it wasn't even about him, really. It was just Lee Howie, Lee Howie, Lee Howie. Your brother is a. <laughs> this is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club, and this is your show. The international break is over and it's a return to action for Manchester City this weekend and a chance to get back-to-back defeats against Wolves and Arsenal out of the system. We've all been stewing on those results for a fortnight, so hopefully Guardiola and the players have too and they'll be ready to get back in the saddle against Brighton on Saturday. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast where we'll be previewing City's two important matches this week. We'll hear from Brighton fan Ryan Adset about what we can expect to see from the Seagulls. Plus we'll have insight into young boys from the Switzerland co-head researcher for football manager Oliver Zessiger. Later in the show, we'll also catch up with the former City defender Steve Howey to get his memories of his time at Main Road, so stay tuned for that. But before all of that, let's talk Brighton and Young Boys. I'm David Mooney. With me this week, I've got two City fans, Chris Higginbottom. Hello. And KC. All right. How do? KC, you well? Yeah, happy days are here again, me and Higgy. <laughs> Chat and <shite>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't like doing preview shows because I never I never have a lot to say about games to preview. So I thought I'd get two massive knobheads on to uh, to sort it all out. <laughs> were they not able to do it? Or oh, yeah, with an with an extra knobhead in yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, uh, for the 2023-24 season, the Blue Moon Podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. It's a massive fortnight of sport with the Premier League, rugby and cricket all taking centre stage. To celebrate, Green King is giving Blue Moon Podcast listeners 20% off drinks until the 29th of October, an hour before, during and after the sport. That includes City's games with young boys and the upcoming Manchester derby at Old Trafford. All you need to do is download the Green King Sport app. If you've not downloaded it before, you'll even get a free welcome pint as well so head over to the app store download the green king sports app get 20 percent off your round and don't miss a minute of the action um let's start then this week with uh brighton and um kind of getting back in the saddle chris because um i i I doing a bit of uh kind of scanning down the results it's been seven years since city lost three in a row in the premier league it was pellegrini's final season um Brighton's not the ideal game to avoid that happening again, is it? It's going to be a tough one, this. Yeah, it's a bit of a... Well, I suppose the, the token phrase is potential banana skin, isn't it? Um, is it a potential banana skin or is it just a banana skin? Well, it's not an actual banana skin. so It's, <laughs> it's not poten- a literal banana skin. Yeah. <laughs> it's, poten- it's potential virtual banana skin. Did you skin. know that banana skins are technically a herb? <laughs> <laughs> I was aware of that, yeah. Have you ever fallen on an actual banana skin? No, they're not very slippy, are they? Well, it depends, actually. I, I have actually slipped on one. No. I, I refuse to believe that this has ever happened. M- M- Mooney, you're a Jonathan Creek fan, and he proved that in one of the episodes that you can slip on a banana skin. <laughs> of all the people that I know in life, I knew you'd know that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you're right. He did. He like. He, he, I remember an episode where he's on. He was on. The, he was on the top of a hill somewhere. He was kept throwing banana yeah. skins on the floor, trying to slide on them. They're not slippy at all. Sorry, Chris. Well, if, you're on a, if you're on a hill, I mean, oh, bananas are not slippy on a hill, are they? 
Well, they'd be more slippy on, for instance, a pavement Would where they? you get the uh, aquaplaning effect rather than them just adhering to the granular uh, <laughs> surface of, say, a muddy grassland that you'd expect on top of a hill. I, I, Typical I, I, topography. I, uh, I agree. I, I, I agree with you, Higgy. I think I think they can be slippy. Potentially. Yeah. Potentially. Do you? So let me just clear this up, Higgy. Do you do you live in a cartoon? Is that where you live? No, not anymore. <laughs> no, I. Uh, who, who framed Chris Higginbottom? I had, to, <laughs> I had to draw it to a close. Hey. I know you hate puns. Sorry, I, I don't hate puns. I like. I, I just not. I'm not a massive fan of puns. A good pun delivered well is fine. But yeah, thank you, thank you. Well, apologies. All right. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, getting back to the actual football, which is I hope what oh, people uh, yeah, tune yeah. into. Um, Foot, K- football run, yeah. Um, KC, uh, the, those three, the, the three defeats in a row thing. It's only ever happened twice in the Premier I League. Know, I haven't answered my question. Anyway. All right, fine, you answer then. Go on. <laughs> I mean, granted, I did meander somewhat um, from your initial asking of it. What, what was I, it again? I, I feel Brighton. Like yeah, I feel like I might have lost control of this podcast already. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's never a good time to play them because they are, well, at the moment, they're pretty inconsistent, but we know they have real quality and we are probably asking questions of ourselves over our dip in form. Um, if nothing else, it gives us the opportunity to sing, to you know adapt the, the three-in-a-row song that we've got. <laughs> City lose three in a row. So yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to that. It's only ever happened twice uh, in the Premier League, KC, since the takeover. Um, Hughes' first season and Pellegrini's and as, final as, season. As we all know, football started then. Yeah, exactly. No no reason to look before that. Certainly not when you're just trolling through fixtures looking for records like I was the other night. Um, when I started supporting them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> ultimately, it's it's... The loss of form, as Higgy says, um, coincides quite nicely with the loss of Rodri. Is it as simple as that? Um, Potentially, yes, because Rodri, um, for my mind, was up there as as Ballon d'Or contender with how he's been playing, you know, um, the past, you know, six or seven months or whatever. Pro- probably longer, actually. I might be doing him a disservice. He'd never get it. He would never, ever get it. I, I, know, I, 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 know, I know that because, as we all know, there's an agenda. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, but I was more... But at the same time, I don't think that we, we played particularly poorly. I think the games weren't too dissimilar to previous games where we have had Rodri and we've just come through it. Like, I think we didn't play particularly well against Arsenal, but I, I would argue on balance that we were the better team. But sometimes those games just come down to luck, don't they? It was really similar to the Cup game last year, wasn't it? Which was very finely balanced and was down to a freak Nathan Aki goal as well. <laughs> one in our favour with his right foot and one in their favour with, with his face. The right side of his face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Casey, where do you feel City are at this season then, given all of that? Because, um, as you say, it's it's been much of a muchness in terms of performances, maybe. But obviously, you can't knock the fact that they that they'd won what was it five in a row to start the season, and they were they were absolutely flying results wise, if maybe not performance wise. Yeah, I think um, with the way that the season started um, for for numerous different, so the way that we've started quicker than we normally do. I think the past two results have put a bit of a downer on things when they necessarily shouldn't have done. Yeah, I think we've started seasons slowly before and it's not been a problem. However, I think the fact that other teams have started really well has sort of um, 
compounded that feeling of the past two games not go you know not going our way i think people have been slightly more down than they would have normally been um but having said that i don't think people are you know morbid and going oh it's all going wrong or anything like that i think people are just worried about um like you say there being uh, a knock-on effect and there might be three or four games of a slump which which isn't particularly like us i think if we get back to winning ways on saturday i think we'll we'll be right back at it yeah the, the other side of this chris as well is that like we talk about brighton being a tough team to play sometimes you want that in these situations sometimes you want a game that you can't take for granted because it actually gives you a kick up the backside to go out and play well yeah, I agree. Um, and the kind of like the the ideal sort of stature of side to play as well. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily want, say, Liverpool, um, but Brighton. They're although very dangerous, they're very beatable, um, especially at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with Rodri back, I mean, I'm expecting us to win. Not expecting it to be a cakewalk by any means, but. Uh, I do think we'll do it. Yeah, and um, I think the de- the games that we've lost. I mean, I, I, you know, I love the Carabao. It was a real shame. Um, the Arsenal game, as I, as I sort of said earlier, I think it's it was very much in the balance. Um, not too disheartened with that. And the other side of that coin, Arsenal are so like overly buoyed by it. They really are a bit giddy, aren't they? I mean, they win the they win the league earlier and, and earlier every season. It seems it's ridiculous, <laughs> and um, it's really if there is a good time to lose that game, then this time of the season when there's ninety odd points still to play for. <laughs> exactly, yeah, and it's like we've still got to play our place, lads. Just calm down. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not not overly concerned. It's a good time to as good yeah, a time think, as any to lose and it's a great time to to bounce back against the yeah, team I think like it, Brighton. I think the, the Arsenal game would have been a bit different if they'd completely outplayed us or something mm. like that. But when you consider like, you know, like you mentioned, we didn't have Rodri and then you factor that we, we've not had uh, De Bruyne for months. And, uh, yeah, Stone. And we were still, you know, arguably the better team even with us underperforming. It's not. It's not too. It's. It shouldn't be too. Yeah, you can't get too worried about it, can you? No. Yeah. There were some big chances in that game as well from Haaland and Aki that nine times out of ten you'd expect them to to score. Maybe not Aki, but given the distance, you'd hope so. Yeah. It's about three yards out when he only spooned that shot. Just. So, uh, yeah, just not disheartened at all. The other thing, Chris. I um, just before we hear from uh, Ryan Adset on the Brighton side of things, um, mm. I just you said you said you don't expect it to be a cakewalk, and I'm trying to work out like surely surely walking on cake would be slippier than walking on bananas. Well, you can actually fill a swimming pool full of custard and walk across that. Um, I saw that see? episode of Brainiac as well. Yeah, John well, Sickle walked across it, didn't he? Yeah. There you go. So, I mean, walking across cake would be relatively easier, hence, hence the phrase I would, I would suggest. Would it? I, I just think it'd be slippier than... Depends than on the cake. Is it iced? Well, <laughs> custard's a non-Newtonian liquid, isn't it? So that's why you're able to do it, but I don't think cake is. But is the cake iced? What sort of cake are we talking? Is it a dense cake? Is it a light sponge? I just think any we, cake, we, any cake's slippier than a banana. Any cake? Any cake Come is on, slippier than just, a banana, surely. <sighs> This is ridiculous. I'm not having that. <laughs> right. right. We need a pavement and a hillside, about- some bananas <laughs> and a variety of cakes. I, I, I would say the slippiest cake would be a urinal cake. 
<laughs> also one of the worst tasting i find yeah yeah not a fan myself um let's let's drag this podcast kicking and screaming back to the actual topics and uh hear from uh the brighton camp i've been speaking to podcaster and writer ryan adsett to find out how he's feeling ahead of this weekend's game i think every time i've come on here it's probably been the best time to be a brighton fan which probably says quite a lot um but equally i, I i'd actually argue and say we've we've not started the season as but perhaps as well as we think. Probably a bit like City fans. Um, you know, it's, it's been a bit of a strange start. Um, obviously, De Zerbi, Lewis Dunk come out and saying that we are in a strange spot, but we're picking up results, um, which I guess shows that we are a good side and, you know, we are here to stay. But at the same time, we're conceding a lot of goals. And obviously, when you're coming up against Manchester City at the Etihad, conceding a lot of goals is really not something that you want, you know, in the back of your mind. Yeah, what's what's the problem been in the last few games? Because I um I, I must admit I didn't see a lot of your game against Villa, but I heard a, a, a big chunk of it on the radio, and it just that that to me seemed like the anomaly of uh, of, of Brighton performances. But I'm I'm guess I'm sensing that you're a bit vulnerable at the moment. Yeah, I see. This is the thing. I would last season I would have said it's a, it's the anomaly, and I, I still think it is. I'd I'd like to hope we're not going to go lose six again, but you know, it is Manchester City. You never know. Um, but yeah, it was a weird game. I I was there, and I just sort of had the feeling from the first goal that this could get a bit ugly because you know we we've been beaten on the transition a lot <laughs> a lot this season so nearly every time there's a counter-attack since losing Caicedo McAllister you know as much as it's great that we're this team that rebuilds and everything like that and I'm not trying to be negative by any stretch um but it was it was definitely one where it was a bit of a, a wake-up call um especially when then we went to Marseille and a similar thing happened. And actually, I spoke to De Zerbi the gate after the Marseille game. Um, and I said to him, you know, we concede goals really, really quickly at the moment. You know, is this a, is this a mentality thing? Because at first I was questioning mentality, but then we came back and, and drew two also. It couldn't have been. Um, and I, and he, he said, to be honest with you, it's been one of those where, you know, we get hit and then we don't really know what's happened, which isn't a good trait to have. Obviously, the same thing happened again at Liverpool in the same week. Um, you know, we were, we were cruising in a game we were controlling just before the international break, 1-0 up. And we were, we were dominating Liverpool, really, on the large stretch. And then we went into the half-time whistle at 2-1 down. <laughs> and I just thought, how did that just happen? Um, don't get wrong, we came back again, and that's a good thing. But yeah, there's definitely a sense of we concede once and we could concede again pretty quickly afterwards. And I don't quite know why. Yeah, the uh, the Liverpool game. Um, I thought I don't know. I don't know if you got the same sense from this, but it it, it kind of gave me a sense that um, it, the the old Brighton was still there. There was a there was a chance for kind of a, for for fight backs in in games like that. And like you say, I, I, I watching that game, I thought like you gave a real good account of yourselves in that game. I thought. Oh, I, I agree, and I think you know Liverpool. Probably the form team at the moment, aren't they? When we we're coming up against them, it was you know thinking on the back of that Villa, on the back of Marseille, thinking God, the last thing you want is probably Liverpool at the moment. Um, but yeah, we we did a good job there. Actually, I think we were probably the better team on a large face of it. And if you know João Pedro scored that in the last few minutes, that, that's a win. Um, and another day that does go in. Um, but yeah, I thought we we, we played well. Um, but it, it's I suppose I suppose. De Zerbi's almost changed my brain. I, I go into games and I, and I want us to be almost perfect like he does. Whereas, you know, before I'd just be happy if we, you know, didn't lose 3-0 away to City. Whereas now it's like, I want us to go there and, and do well. Um, you know, I'm not saying we're going to beat them by any stretch, but 
you know, you, you expect Brighton these days to, to be a good side. So I think that's just what Deserby's done to our heads, perhaps. Yeah, it's, it's happened with City fans and Pep as well. So it, it happens with good coaches when they uh, when they come in and start changing the way you play. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, how have the squad coped this season with um, taking on the Europa League as well? Because there, there's... There is a lot to be said about the sudden kind of impact of having an extra game uh, thrown into the schedule early on in the season as well. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely a shocker. I think it's definitely one that because you know we've got a largely inexperienced squad. That, you know, there's not many in that squad that's played that many games. You know, Lalana and Welbeck. You know, when they're at the bigger clubs, but they're they're not fit enough to play three games anyway. And then you've got sort of Ansu Fati's played obviously at Barcelona, been out for a long time. So really, we've got pretty inexperienced squad in this this sense but I think Athens was a well, it was almost potentially a blessing in disguise if we go and beat Ajax which is a big big if um, but it was a bit of a blessing in disguise because I feel like when when we get hit nice and early like you know De Zerbi seems to it's like a bounce back ability isn't it you, you know we get hit and then we think okay that's what we can't do um, and I think the Athens one was a bit like that because perhaps we underestimated really what how tough the Europa League is for a start and also how good some sides are that, you know, perhaps you haven't really heard of. Um, you know, I knew Athens, but I never really took into account their squad as much as I probably should have done. And then, you know, they, they're very physical. It's a different it's a different game. Um, so that definitely was a shock. But I think Marseille proved that we can still do it. And, um, you know, it's given me a bit more confidence going into Ajax, hopefully in a couple of weeks time. Yeah. Now, uh, obviously, coming to the Etihad uh, this weekend, um, you've said already you're expecting a, a tough game. Um, if you are going to get some points from this game, who are the players that are going to do it for you? Good question. <laughs> Good question. I mean, we've got a lot of game changers, haven't we? I mean, the, you know, they always get touted for transfer on on Twitter if you don't know their names by now. But um, <laughs> I think, you know, the likes of Ferguson, Jimmy Thomas, all them sort of players... Um, but I have a feeling about Pascal Gross. I, I just I love Pascal. I think he's Mister Underrated um, and has been for a long time. And it, it'd be lovely to see him get a goal um, after he's just come into the Germany side, sort of very very late bloom. I think he's like thirty two now. He's only just been called up for a Germany. Now I think their manager's now saying how it's a bit of a mistake how it's taken so long and all this sort of thing um, because he's done very well over there. So I think it'd be quite fitting for him to come back home and, and score a goal uh, at City. Would be great, but. I don't know. It's going to be tough. Um, obviously, you're in a in a strange spot as well, um, and I think that alone gives me that sense of you're going to be right up for it to to get a result too. Yeah. Do you, Do you think? Because I I think this from a, a City point of view that City were desperate for the for the international break. Did you feel like Brighton yeah. were as well? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you. I think because I think we're we're probably two of the best footballing teams, right? We we, we like to play football, which is nice, and I think that because of that. You know, when things aren't going, particularly Brighton's way, I don't know if this is the same at City, but it seems like a bit of, not implosion, but the, the confidence definitely goes down a little bit. And I think that if you, if the confidence is down a little bit, those passes that, you know, you can risk don't quite work. The the fluid the fluidity is a little bit off. And I think as soon as that happens, teams can just pressure you and, and, and win the ball back a bit easier. Uh, I think that's definitely what we've seen. Perhaps, I don't know if that's the same at City, um, but it's definitely been the case at Brighton recently. Yeah, for uh, for City, I think the big one is having Rodri back this weekend just to to stabilise oh, everything. Back yeah, he's oh, uh, he's back. I'm afraid. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> um, just in terms of uh, the goal scorers, then for for Brighton, you've mentioned Ferguson. Um, I want to talk a little bit about João Pedro because uh, he seems to have uh, to have come in and done pretty well for himself. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I like Pedro a lot. I think he's a I think he's a great talent, uh, a really good talent. I um 
I want him. I want to see a bit more of him in front of goal um, because I think he he can easily get a couple more goals to his name uh, already. Um, he's got a few. He's only got one from open play. So he's missed a penalty at the moment, but he's very good from the spot, which is great because we don't have a penalty taker. And after losing McAllister, <laughs> that was definitely the worry. Thinking, God, who takes penalties now? Um, but yeah, thank God we got João Pedro for that. But. Yeah, I think his overall game's getting better. I think he's definitely getting better at linking up and, and sort of dropping deeper. I like him deeper. I think he's a much better behind the striker, number 10, if you would. Uh, that, that, to me, is his best position because he can link up play. And I think he's much better at that, you know, turning, beating players than he is if you were to just rely on him with the number nine shirt on the back. Because I just think if he's in front of goal, I probably wouldn't fancy him as much as I say I would with Ferguson, for example. Um, and I think, yeah, that's just one of those things with João Pedro. I think he's people look at him thinking he's number nine because he's got a number nine on the back. But if he had a number 10, I think it'd be a little bit more appropriate. Yeah. Um, what do you make of Ferguson as well? Because it's still only 18, um, but just looks like a seasoned pro at this stage. Yeah, he's he's, he's class, isn't he? I mean, again, he, he's, he needs time, I think. This is what I've said on a couple of these big podcasts, actually. I think I went on a United one um, and I said they, they wanted to sign Ferguson. And I said, well he's 18 years old you know it doesn't the, the the common misconception of Brighton is you can just sign a player that from Brighton he's going to be fantastic because he's 18 I mean he, he's still very very good don't get me wrong he's the best finisher I've seen at this club um, apart from Glenn Murray probably and um, I love Glenn Murray but don't get me wrong but Ferguson's that and a lot more he, he's very complete um, but at the same time he's still very young there's a lot of immaturity he's been a bit off form recently because he, he had an illness I think um, and he, he's taken a bit of time to recover from that. Um, and I, I just think it needs to be, you know, the, the almost thing needs to be Brighton need to hold on to their assets for a couple more years and let them improve. Because, you know, I probably would have said this about Caicedo letter that McAllister, I think he was ready to move on. Um, but they just need that more time, I think. He, he's, he's good. He's a great talent. I love him. I think he's fantastic potential. Um, but I think it's just... Time is needed with these players. It's not as simple as, yeah, he's going to score a hat-trick this weekend and then, you know, everything's going to be great. It could be he might get a goal this weekend, but he might not start again the following. And I think that that's what people need to remember. Yeah. The uh, the, the other part of uh, what makes Brighton tick as well, you've already mentioned Pascal Gross. Um, you look at players like uh, Mitoma and March as well in the in the midfield. I, I spend pretty much probably about two or three hours every weekend trying to decide which Brighton player I'm going to put into my fantasy <laughs> league team. And it, you, can, you can guarantee it's going to be the one that doesn't score the points that weekend. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, they're just, a, they're, they're ju- the midfield is just so good at, at controlling games, I guess. Is that is that part of what's uh, what's made you who you are over the last few years? Yeah, I think last season especially, you know, that, that as I say, McAllister, like I said, Pivot was was so recognised. Um, Pascal's obviously been so, so, so good for us. Um, I think Pascal Gross got some crazy stat. He's the, he's the second highest chance creator in the Premier League since 2017 when, we, when he joined. Um, only behind Kevin De Bruyne, which is incredible stats. Um, I think Bruno Fernandes is close behind him and, and Mohamed Salah, but I think he's got the most. And if you consider how bad that Brighton side was in the first couple of years, <laughs> it's it's incredible, really. Um, but yeah, I, I think Pascal really deserves a lot more plaudits. But um, the one that really excites me um, is is Carlos Baleba. Uh, I thought he's he's really looking good. And I was worried at first, you know, say that transition thing, you know, Gilmore's great, but he gets overrun because he's, he's, he's not the most physical um, we don't have much physicality in Pascal Gross or you know Jack Hinsford, which we saw against uh, Villa. 
But Belaber adds that a little bit, then 50-50s are ours again. And I think that that's what we definitely need. A um, bit of pace, bit of power um, in that midfield. And that's what we've definitely lacked since Caicedo left. And Belaber seems not like Caicedo, but probably a little bit more like, a, if I was to talk in a city sense, dare I say, yeah, yeah, Toro, God, that's a little bit strong. <laughs> yeah, but I know exactly what you mean when you say that, so it's okay. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a, lot of, a lot of City fans who... Um, seem to well, it seem to have eyes on Deserbi as as the potential Guardiola <laughs> replacement. Um, yeah. Now, I'm not suggesting that that'll happen soon, if at all. Yeah. Um, how do you think he'll approach this game uh, this weekend? Because he seems he seems to have a different plan for different opposition. Yeah, I I, I think it's a good question to be honest because I, I normally I could come on and say I know what's going to happen, whereas because of sort of how we've been recently, I, I don't know. I think. It it really depends on how we turn up as opposed to the manager because I think that maybe the one criticism you can have of the Zerbi, not that there really is any, is is the um, extreme amount of a rotation that we've had. Um, you know, we, we rotate goalkeepers, we rotate centre backs, midfielders on a weekly basis, uh, if not an, even on a three day basis, um, and, and that alone sort of makes you a bit worried, especially you know play City. I think is it Ajax the week. Next week, I, I can't remember if it's next week or the week after. Um, yeah, Ajax, Ajax so, the Thursday after this game. Thursday after, yes. Yeah, so, so that's a big game for us because obviously, if we lose that, we're practically, you know, we're, we're looking down the barrel then in the Europa League. So we, we want to win that game. So, you know, it makes you wonder whether we'll, we'll look at, you know, City as a bit of a punt perhaps and, and try and play. But I don't think that'll happen because the Zerbi's a winner and he'll want to just try and win the game. Um, but yeah, I think the way we've been, as long as we just don't have that little mini implosion, I think we'll be fine. Um, I just really hope that, that doesn't happen because City are way, way, way more than capable of making an implosion happen into a bit of a massacre. Um, and as we've seen so many times in the past, we really, really could do without that, especially before going to Ajax, because last time we went into a Europa League game, we'd just been beaten 6-1 by Villa. So let's hope that doesn't happen again. Yeah. Uh, well, Ryan, let's have uh, a score prediction for this game. We've got the charity bet coming up a bit later on. Uh, I'm notoriously bad at it, so uh, I like to give my <laughs> prediction over to guests. So what, what will you say for this uh, one? Yeah. I hate predictions as well, to be fair, <laughs> um, especially when I'm playing against Manchester City away. Um, but I will be there in the away end, and I'm very excited to be back at the Etihad because I actually quite enjoyed last last season, even though we lost. Um, let's say... Let's say, oh God, can I predict a win? Is that really delusional? Um, I'm, you know, I'm gonna do it anyway, just for the sake of the viewers. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a two-one win. God, that's that's awful considering we've conceded about three goals a game. Um, let's no, let's say two-all draw. A two-all draw. Two-all draw. That's me being hopeful, yeah, because we'll concede definitely, and then hopefully we can just try and outscore you. And if, if it ends in a two-all, then then that'll be a that'll be a great day out in Manchester. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. StatCity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. 
That was Ryan Adset looking at the game uh, between City and Brighton this weekend. Um, Casey, Brighton might not be in the best form at the moment as well, as uh, as Ryan says there. So uh, maybe it is actually a good time to face them because they, they as much as, as they will come and have a go, if they're not feeling themselves at the moment, it could be a good time to, to kind of exploit the spaces that they'll leave. Um, I, I, I'm not really sure. When, it, when it's a team, I think the main factor that I'm confident about the weekend is the fact that it's at home. Whether they're in form or they're out of form, I, f- I find Brighton a very strange side. Like They look like absolute world beaters towards the back end of last season and then got absolutely battered at home by Everton yeah. out of nowhere. <laughs> I, I, who I who dropped think... points to Everton last season? I know. Oh, God, yeah. Um, it's just. I think. I think it's just... Yeah, I think they're just a strange team. And I think they could turn up and look like, you know, 1970 Brazil, or they could turn up, you know, and just get absolutely walloped and, and turn up, you know, and it could go like the Fulham game. Um, how long ago was that? About six weeks ago, at home, yeah. where, where we just suddenly turn it on. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to judge with them. Um, they got thrashed at home by West Ham as well. Yeah, that was it. Th- was it three one? Yeah, well, three one. Yeah. Got a goal in the eighty eighty. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it, the the they are a bit of a strange side. Like like as like Higgy said, they they are very dangerous, but at the same time, the the right sort of uh, profile of a team that you'd you'd want in terms of balance of, um, they play football, um, they're a good side, so we should be focused. And then the fact that we're at home. You'd hopefully think coming off those two results that everyone will be dialed in for this at the weekend. Yeah, how dialed in do you think Rodri will be, Chris? Because obviously he'll come straight back in, and it's almost a case of uh, right, lad. Sorry, I fucked up here. I need to. I need to make amends for this. I think he'll be very dialed in, speed dialed in, <laughs> dialed into the max. I think he'll be uh, yeah, very very keen to make amends. Um, hopefully not over keen because uh, he does put himself about a bit, but. Probably a lesson learned again with Rodri in terms of timing in the season, like and, and when to lose him. Perhaps a boon in terms of what we lose when we've not got him and strategies to to work around that, and for him as well to learn that lesson now with so many points to play for. He's he's lost his head there. Um, he's, he's it's a lesson learned, and we'll stand us and him in good stead. Yeah, uh, I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't be adverse to him just leathering leathering shots from thirty yards, though. Like you know, you know, if he loses his head in in that regard, you know, you could see you could see. He has been absolute, doing a bit of that. Yeah, yeah, you could see an absolute wonder goal coming from him if 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 he decides to take his anger out in that way. It's yeah. funny. It's funny though, KC, because he uh, we did this on the podcast a few weeks ago after the Sheffield United game. Of all of his goals, like he, I think he's got the highest proportion of goals that you know from a player that isn't like Haaland or Aguero in uh, in City's team that actually matter. If that makes sense, like like goals that change he- the game, he- heavy heavy goals. Yeah, he used to say. Yeah. yeah, they City take the lead or they equalize or like like with a Rodri goal. But it's not just like when you say heavy goals, I think of like Edin Dzeko like scuffing it in at the back. Post, like, but he's, I, I, th- I think of Gundogan now. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, no, yeah, Rodri's definitely on that. Like, you, you know, you can't get bigger than the winner to win a treble, really, can you? No, fair point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, can City just pick up from where they left off uh, with him in the team, KC? Do you think because they've tried so many options without him in the team, um, and it's just a case of right, okay, well, we'll just go back to what, what it was. Is is it just going to be that simple? 
Uh, I don't think it will be because of because it being uh, Deserby's Brighton, and I think Pep will have um, come up with about forty different plans. Um, oh, uh, bearing in mind he's had a bit of a, a bit of time off to overthink the game, so I'm sure I'm sure we won't play like we have done purely off that basis. Um, I'm very confident that he'll get you know that Pep will find a way, Mooney. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's a case of. Um, I, 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 I don't think that we'll set up in the same way that we have done in previous games, but that's more to do with Pep having time off. Yeah. Does that, does, do, you, do you feel the same way, Chris? Or does that extend to uh, kind of like the front players? Because I think there's there's a real question to be asked about whether you want uh, someone like Doku for his unpredictability and his ability to kind of be explosive and run at the at the fullback. Or if you want someone like Jack Grealish, you'll keep it tight, keep it tidy and make sure that City don't lose the ball. Because of the unpredictability of the two managers, locking horns, and the fact that uh, Doku has that sort of maverick element to him, I would start with Grealish. Um, with regard to the question about Rodri, I think it will be very much a case of like putting on a familiar garment, and I think people, the players around him will be relieved to have him back in. And I think even if Pep employs a different style of play as, as he has done to the last game or like KC was suggesting he might have overthought it to the extent of coming up with you know X amount of uh, varied kind of strategies but I think just the fact that you've got him there you know you know what it's like when you're in a team and one of your best players comes back in and you're used to playing with that player it's like right even if he's in your peripheral vision you know how to pass to that player more naturally, how they move, how they how they interact. And I just think, for me, I, I disagree saying it's uh, going to be anything other than a, a huge relief for the way we play and, and for the other the other players, Roger coming straight back in. I think it will be a very calming, uh, beneficial influence. How about Stones? Would you have him back in? Because um, I think it, it, it's felt like in many games this season, one of the things City have missed is someone who can play the ball from the back four. Definitely, and for the same reasons as Rodri, really, that I've just said. Uh, I'd probably kind of copy and paste that answer to uh, borrow a Steve Howie phrase. But, um, yeah, I think... Oh, that we, that, that's from an interview that we haven't heard yet on this show, but you have heard because you've heard it as a pre-record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, play, you're, playing with lovely, the, but... you're playing with the time-space continuum here now. <laughs> I am, I am. It's, it's Great just, Scott. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a little teaser trailer from Higley. It that's is, awesome. it's a teaser. Yeah. Some great interviewer from Steve Howie coming up, folks. But I also, uh... I, I also don't know if I've left that in the edit. That's going to go in the show, so <laughs> let's find out later on. Well, I only listened to the short edit, and bloody hell, if that was a short edit, I, I did the long one, I didn't have time to. Uh, but, but yeah, Rodri and Rodri and Stones coming back in can only be a, a good thing um, all round. I was a bit. It's one of them, you know, the international break and he started Stones in the last games and part of you is like, what are you doing, you absolute madman? You can't start him. He's been out for months and then it's like, but if he doesn't get injured, that's absolutely fantastic for him. Yeah. Good. So, yeah, luckily we got away with that. Um, and I would be, I mean, who would you drop though? Who would you play at the back if Stones comes straight back in and we put Stones in, in midfield? This is why I'm not a manager. <laughs> yeah, KC. Okay, um, for obviously for for City and like with Stones coming back, Rodri's coming back. You know they've got Bernardo again after an injury, Grealish after an injury. It feels like they're coming through the other side of these selection issues. 
Yeah, um, and I think um, th that that's you know, I, I, although I, I forgot to mention it before, that's one of the reasons why I think we may set up ever so slightly different, not massively different, um, because I think the lineups for the first few games of the season when we were on that good run were were born out of necessity more than anything else, yeah. weren't they? Whereas hopefully options now would mean that you know. Pep can, you know, work his magic and come up with something weird and wonderful that uh, no one else has ever thought of. Well, that's that's a weekly occurrence for him, though, isn't it? So that's yeah. The, yeah. Um, there's a, there's only there must only be a finite number of things you can do tactically on a football pitch. He must be running out of tactics soon enough. Um, I don't know where that thought came from. Uh, it's six six centre halves at the back of the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Had um, to re 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 reinvent the wheel. Yeah, yeah sharing bottles of wine with Tony Pulis and just discussing having large men at the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, right, well, it's another new opponent for City in the Champions League this week as well. So what can we expect from young boys as City travel to Switzerland on Wednesday? To find out, I've been speaking to Oliver Zessiger, who is the Switzerland co-head researcher for Football Manager and who reports on Swiss football for the website Transfermarkt. I started by asking how things were going for them at the moment. Uh, decently well. I mean, qualifying for the Champions League uh, was a success. It was their one of their main objectives. Uh, in the league, they're currently not at the top, which is a slight surprise. Um, basically, Zurich is uh, some points ahead of them. And uh, on Sunday evening, they play against each other. So uh, there is a top-of-the-table clash before the City game. Um, but overall, the team gets some criticism for their lack of plan B and their a bit basic playing style. Um, but uh, yeah, it's early in the season still, so it's it's going decently well. Yeah, how how do they uh, usually approach seasons? What's uh, what, what's the what's what's the style in which that they normally play? So um, they play in a four-four-two uh, diamond formation usually. Um, but uh, their style is more like they have uh, big, tall guys up front, so they try to win second balls. Um, they're not afraid to play a long ball. They're a quick transition team as well. So uh, it's not like a short passing game. Um, not very eye-catching to watch, but in Switzerland it's successful and internationally, or at least continentally, it worked decently well as well. Yeah, how uh, how do they usually do? I mean, give a, give us an idea. You know, uh, season on season, uh, are they usually challenging for for titles in the Champions League positions regularly? Um, they won six out no five. Um, let me just quickly think about. It. I think five out of out of the last six league titles. So uh, and two cups. So they are the main team in Switzerland. They're the team to beat. Uh, you might remember a decade ago, Basel won eight straight league titles. Now it's young boys winning straight league titles and cups. Um, yeah, they're the financially most stable team, or let me say the richest team. Um, but due to uh, their qualification for Champions Leagues and uh, Europa Leagues and so on and so forth, um, they are the team to beat in Switzerland. Um, so that's why it's a slight surprise that they're not sitting at the top of the table at the moment. Yeah. Um, what uh, you mentioned the four four two diamond uh, earlier on. Uh, do you expect that to change for the City game? Because a lot of teams uh, do kind of modify what they do when they come up against Pep Guardiola. I do believe they will change because uh, in the first league, uh, in the first uh, Champions League game against Leipzig, they played in a uh, with a back five and. 
I think that uh, it was a 5-3-2, I believe. Um, so uh, I think that they will apply this uh, back five again because it makes them def defensively more stable. And I think they're able to counter uh, specific threats a little bit better against City. And yeah, it's just a defensively more stable formation for them. Yeah, well, so what are they hoping for from from the Champions League this season? Because obviously they've uh, they'd lost to uh, Leipzig, but then uh, drew with Red Star. Um, what what will the aim be for the Champions League campaign? Um, the aim is to uh, to play European football again next year, which means become at least third. Which, in my book, it should be possible. I mean, all comes down probably all comes down to the uh, second game against Red Star. Um, if everything goes very well, they could become maybe second, but I don't think so. So their aim is really to finish third in the group and then play, play Europa League next season. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, it's a, it's a tough challenge coming up against City. If they are to, to cause a little bit of a shock, who are the players that are, that are likely to be dangerous? Who are the ones that might do it? Um, mainly Meshak Elia. Um, he's a striker slash winger who's uh, very quick, very agile, uh, isn't afraid to take a long shot and scored against Leipzig. And uh, he's the main threat. Uh, Cedric Eaton, some British football fans may know him from the Scottish Premiership a couple of years ago. Um, he's also Swiss international. And then my personal favorite is Filip Ugrinich in midfield. He's a, a very strong, very athletic uh, central midfielder who is also not afraid to to shoot from from far out. Um, those are the three specific threats up front that uh, you need to take care of. Yeah. What about uh, weaknesses for for young boys? Where, where where have they shown a little bit of weakness this season? That's a good question. Um, they're not the most efficient team when it comes to converting chances, and they do. They do uh, concede more goals than usual, so it's it's a bit on both ends. What they probably aren't—they um, aren't the technically best team, so they're more a physical team. And uh, yeah, those are the main weaknesses at the moment. Their goalkeeper can be hit and miss, although he's young. Um, he has conceded some dodgy goals in the last couple of games, um, notably against Red Star. And uh, yeah, it, it is the team is still looking to uh, to find to find itself and uh, the tactics that the coach has applied. Yeah. Now, uh, obviously, this game in in midweek is uh, is in Bern. Um, what's the stadium like there? What uh, what can the the travelling city fans expect from from things like the atmosphere and and, and the event and the occasion? Um, first off, the stadium is new. It was uh, built was it fifteen years ago. And it has an artificial pitch, so uh, Pep might not be satisfied with this, but uh, it is the reality of uh, of Bird. They don't have an academy, and they they train, or, or most of the teams, uh, including new teams, train in the stadium. So they needed something else other than a grass pitch. And uh, yeah, you you the. Uh, Main stand for ultras is is usually loud. They usually do a, a tifo choreography before the game, and it will be a good atmosphere. The game will be sold out, if I'm not mistaken. It would surprise me if it weren't, if, if it wasn't. And yeah, it's just uh, it will be a good atmosphere. It can be slightly chilly because the wind um, gets gets into the stadium, 
and uh, yeah, pack your uh, pack your jackets and uh, your not your winter clothes, but at least your uh, your warmer clothes when you get when you go there. Yeah, bring a scarf at least. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oliver, we got uh, we got a charity back coming up a bit later on in the show. Um, what uh, what would your score prediction be for this game? I'm not very optimistic. To be honest, um, I think it's uh, going to be a three-nil for City. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was Oliver Zessiger talking to me about young boys this season. Um, KC, with United on the Sunday this weekend after this game, um, I know we're getting a bit of ahead of ourselves here, but uh, City have got a pretty tough run coming up fixture-wise. Is it worth making fairly big changes from the weekend to keep things fresh and to keep things ticking over and knowing that City, are they're not done in the Champions League, but they've got a good setting of, of two wins from two so far? I, I think over the past like four or five years, you've asked me a version of this question each time. And my gut instinct is to always think, yes, he should change it up for the Champions League. Then he goes unchanged and plays his strongest team. <laughs> but he never has done in any of the previous years. So it just feels a bit of uh, deja vu. I, I think he'll just play a very strong team again. Um, I think he's more of the ilk where he views the Champions League group stages as incredibly important. Um, and then on top of that, I think he also wants to get players in a rhythm, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the other side of this, Chris, is with that difficult run coming up in late November, early December time, probably want to qualify from the group as quickly as possible. You Yeah, you always need that. Um, well, you would always prefer to have that qualification in place. It's just one less thing to worry about, isn't it? Get that, get that ticked off and then you can start perhaps chopping and changing with your selections in the, the later group stage games and free up players for the uh, the relatively more important clashes as they would be then. Um, so I know it's imperative in Pep's mind from from what I can kind of, kind of glean from from his interviews that uh, he just wants to smash out the park and then you know get his ducks in a row for for what follows. Yeah. Um, the the other side of this, Casey, is with with the opponent being who it is, in that it's you know it's a it's a tough side. They um, they that they keep winning the Swiss League, but at the same time, it's not a team that you would expect City to struggle that much with. Maybe it gives you, maybe it gives you a chance to look at uh, other options in a in a competitive game, in the sense of you know Foden can play through the centre with with a little bit less of his defensive responsibility that he might need to have in the Premier League game, for instance. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you there. Um... Uh, and I'm avoiding saying that you know the young boys have grown up or, or anything like that. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I, you know we, we should we, we should just absolutely you know batter them without having to come out of second gear, really, shouldn't we? Um, I, you know, think, thinking back to the previous um, home game in the Champions League, obviously I know that we we conceded, but the amount of chances that we missed in that first half. I can see the game going like that, but I was just putting two or three of them away. Yeah, and does it does it slow down in intensity if that happens? If City are two nil, three nil up at half time, does it, does the second half just play out like a you know like a friendly? Uh, yeah, I would anticipate it if 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 we are two or three nil up at half time, you would imagine that we'd just be pissing about with it on the halfway line uh, for the majority of the second half. But as we've seen when we when we do tend to do that in the early rounds of the Champions League, we do seem to get another another couple 
like towards the end of the game as well anyway, um, because we sort of uh, lull the teams into a false sense of um, boredom, maybe, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, sort of hypnotise them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to, uh, no spoilers for the charity bet, but uh, I kind of hope that, that we do get a few late goals in this game just for your one to, to, to come in, because any regular listeners will know what your options are already. Um, yeah. But no spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers. Uh, Higgy, <laughs> um, the, other, the other side of this is as well, we've seen uh, a lot of um, Kovacic Nunes over the last few games as, as City have tried to come up with uh, an answer for not having Rodri there. Um, maybe this is a, a this is an opportunity, these couple of games, to, to see what we might see, what, or to see what we could see from them in a more natural position for them. Uh, possibly, yeah. I mean, where would you be putting Kovacic in that more natural position compared to where he's been playing in Rodri's absence, probably slightly higher, slightly further up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's he's a he's a ball carrier, isn't he? I guess his form's really dipped, hasn't he? Since he came back from the injury, I don't know if he's fully fit and he's been kind of nursing it through a bit in Rodri's absence or what. But um, perhaps it is the fact that he's been played a little bit more, uh, a little further back than he would naturally be inclined <laughs> to. It doesn't really account for him just being absolutely mental with those challenges. Though, <laughs> yeah, or not being able to play like ten yard passes. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's gone on there. Like, like you've you've already made one bad challenge. Just calm, calm <laughs> it down, mate. I, how he's not got sent off there? I don't know. Yeah. What about uh, Nunes though, Chris? Because because he's we've not seen a huge deal of him. But well, what I have seen, I've been quite impressed with. He looks he looks tidy with uh, a real glint of like class about him doesn't he mm. um, I, I like what I've seen as well and what you have seen makes you kind of hungry to, to see more unfortunately can't the same can't be said of the unfortunate Calvin Phillips who I've been backing and backing and backing to the hill and saying that we've not been patient enough and he's been unfortunate with this and he's been unlucky with that and I still think he has but yeah uh, there's opportunities you know when they when they stack it, up, it, it still it looks, it, look, it looks over for him, doesn't it? Really, it does. I find that like, and I saw this for England as well the last game. I only saw about the, the second half because I was busy, but um, he seems he seems to try to prove himself too much in certain situations where he should just be playing an easy ball. Quite often, someone will give him a pass where really you shouldn't be giving him the ball in that situation because it's he's he's being closed down or he's already marked, and it's like you know you it's a bit of a hospital pass or you're selling him a, basically putting him into a bit of mischief with the pass and rather than just toe poke it straight back he'll think no I'm going to show you and he'll try something a little bit more extravagant than perhaps he should and yeah once you get into that sort of you know you're trying too hard it's very difficult and it seems to be yeah, prolonged get, now over a sustained period you see players get in a rut don't they where it's like they're, yeah. they're, they're just digging themselves deeper yeah, the psychological kind of barrier mm. becomes entrenched, like you say, like a rut. And regrettably, I think uh, unless something dramatic happens, you never know what's around the corner, do you? Because someone could get injured and he'll, he'll just be forced into a position and suddenly it starts clicking. He'll have one good moment, maybe a snapshot that goes in and the adrenaline pumps and he has a great game and it turns it, you know, anything could happen. But at the moment, it's looking like uh, he's sort of got one foot out the door. Yeah, I really hope it does happen for him because I don't think he's a bad player. No, he's a player in there, isn't there? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, and he's but, such a but, nice lad. It may be too nice. Shave yeah. your head and start growling. 
going back to Nunes though, what I would be interested to see is if he because because like you said, Higgy, in terms of him being, a, he's looked like a tidy player and and all that sort of stuff. What I'd be interested to see is if he can sort of uh, chip in with goals and stuff like that. Um, I think I think that'd be interesting because I don't think I've ever I've, I've you know very limited games I've seen him for Wolves and stuff like that. In carrying the ball and running with it has always been his strength. But I, I, it'd be interesting to see whether he is that type of player that can weigh in with you know goals well, from midfield. It's funny you should say that. I was reading an interview with him and um, he was saying himself that he isn't really that kind of player and he prefers yeah. to pass the ball and to shoot, um, which I can kind of relate to in a way. Uh, and I don't mind seeing that, but you know, in this team, if you're in a de- decent position to, to shoot, then there's no reason to I'm, not have a pot. I am He's certainly deft not. enough with his feet. I am sorry, Chris, but having you have, I, 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 you have scored the goal that the best goal that I've ever seen live, <laughs> like in what in small sided football. This is amazing, Greg. Genuinely, I've never seen a goal better than what you've scored. We were playing at Power League in Stockport, and <laughs> it was it was sitting down. It was when we had we had a brief stint in the league there um, with of the group of us and. Um, the, the opposition had a shot, and like I just waved it wide because it was going wide. It hit the backboards, looped up into the air, and from about kind oh, of yeah. a, yeah, a, a third of the way into your own half, you just because it had come off the boards, it, like the high ball rule didn't matter, so it was it was dropping down. You just turned and volleyed it as it was coming down from <laughs> your own of half. Henry against Man United, I think, yeah, uh, into into the bottom <laughs> corner. <laughs> honestly, yeah, it was an incredible finish. And I was like, it, like I, I can I can kind of relate to someone who can't finish. I was like, mate, yeah. you you whack it in from everywhere. Yeah, no, I, was I didn't. Say, I've, I wasn't there for that for that game, but I've played with you, Higgy, before, and I've seen you leather leather some belters in. Well, th- th- this is uh, this is very flattering, and uh, I'm blushing here under the under the, the the earphones. But more more often than not, they don't go in. And this isn't the point, anyway. I didn't I didn't say I can't finish. That's but by the way, I didn't say that. But what I did say that I'd prefer a I prefer like a a really crafty slide rule pass than say just scoring a, a an average goal. I'd much prefer. Yeah, an, great, an great goal, great goals or no other. That's what you like, is it? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, a links man. <laughs> um, speaking, thanks of, for the. I mean, I've, I, I should, I should say thank you very much. I didn't come on here to get a praise for my <laughs> <laughs> mercurial finishing ability, which uh, there'll be plenty of people who do know me thinking that's bollocks. <laughs> Honestly, like g- genuinely, I've, I was just stood in that in the area in that game, just like astounded at what I'd just seen because I was like, "Why on earth? Like, why on earth would you take that shot on from there?" But not only have you done it, you've you've popped it in the bottom corner at the same time. Um, this is my favourite show ever. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk uh, briefly about um, Harland and Alvarez, uh, KC, because their partnership has been um, growing this season, and it's certainly been bringing uh, a lot out of Alvarez. Um, Harlan's been a bit off form in the last few weeks, but obviously you don't you don't back him to to um, stay off form for too much longer. Are, are you expecting to see this season both of them starting more often together, or are we are we hitting the point of the season where we start to get a bit of rotation for Alvarez? Do you think? I, th- I think we will see more rotation than there has been. However, I do think that that will be the default go to for the rest of the season, and I think Pep is um, betting on us reaping rewards towards the back end of the season when they both click together at the same time. Yeah. 
Are we talking them starting together as a front pair or starting together on the pitch with We're just, Al- Alvarez in a, in, a, in a deeper position? Just on the pitch, really, because Al- Alvarez kind of plays, he, he sometimes plays as a, as a partner, but quite often plays as uh, just in behind, doesn't he? Exactly, yeah. And he's kind of been trying to slot him into that De Bruyne role, hasn't he, with mixed results? Obviously, he's a different. everyone's a different player than De Bruyne, but... I'd say everyone's a different player anyway to everyone else. <laughs> hey, we're all different, guys. Embrace it. Yeah, true. Fair enough. Sorry. Yeah. Um, let's get some predictions then for the charity bet. We're still on £175 raised so far this season. The winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They'll be outside the Etihad again on Saturday before the game. Uh, go down and see them with a donation if you can. William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles and two games are up this week. Um, we heard earlier on from Ryan that he's gone for a two-all draw between City and Brighton. That's 14-1 to one and £140 if he's right. Um, Higgy, what are you having? Manchester City 2, Brighton and Hove Albion 1. Lovely if that comes in. 8 to 1 and £80 if you're right. KC, we know it already, but tell us. Uh, 6 1, please. 6 1, just in case it happens. Uh, 6 1 is 60 to 1 and £600 if you're right. We'll stick with you for young boys because we already know where it's going. 6 1 again. 6 1. Yeah. 6 1 again is uh, another 60 to 1 and £600 if you're right there. So if that comes in twice this week, then we'll have made more money on the charity bet this season than any others previously. So fingers crossed for that. Um, we heard uh, Oliver said he's going for a 3-0 City win against Young Boys. That's 13-2 to two and £65 if he's right. Higgy, uh, finish off. What are you having for uh, Young Boys? Um, well, I have slept since you asked me, but I think I said 3-1. Uh, you did say 3-1. That's 10-1 to one and £100 if you are right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information on how to gamble responsibly, then take a look at begambleaware.org. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Now then, when Joe Royal got City back into the Premier League in the year 2000, he set about trying to add reinforcements so that the team could stay there. In the end, they wouldn't be able to, but one piece of business he did do would go on to form part of Kevin Keegan's side that won promotion and earned a top-half Premier League finish in the years that followed. I've been speaking to the ex-City defender Steve Howie to get his memories of that time at Main Road. I mean, ultimately, it's about survival. Um... But in all fairness, whilst I knew some of the players, I didn't know if 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 the standard was going to be good. Um, you only see bits and pieces that you have that you that you do see, you know, on the TV. And obviously, George brought in myself, Alfie, um, Inga Harland, um, Lawrence Sharvey, and George Weir, and Paolo Onechop was another one as well. Um, so you're thinking, do you know what? We might be all right here. There's always in the league, it's a brutal league, and you think, I think there's going to be teams worse than us. And I know that's a shocking thing to think of, but you think, well, we could be all right. And it was only when I've gone to the training ground and I'm looking at players, I'm thinking, wow, he's a good player, he's a good player, he's a good player. Think, And, and then getting more confident. Obviously, the first game was a wake-up call because we got beat off Charlton 4-0. Um, but after that, I think we, we won against Sunderland. I think Paolo scored three. Um, I think we beat um, Leeds as well. So it wasn't looking too bad. I just think in the end, because ultimately, I, th- I was actually doing something the other day when I was uh, with uh, I was with Didi Haman and we were looking at the, the Liverpool game and we were 2-2 two, two, two with a couple of minutes to go and we got beat 3-2. 
And I think there was a few games like that where we were just unfortunate, where just decisions didn't quite go our way. You can look at it that way, but I think ultimately, over a season, you are where you deserve to be, regardless if you've got good players or not. And I think that season, we just weren't, quite good, uh, we just weren't good enough. Yeah. I, I was looking up uh, your record in that first season as well um, the other night, and... Um... I, I don't know if you know this. You scored six goals that season, um, which, like for for a centre half, is is quite a good return. But then I looked at, at your Newcastle record, and it was like you scored about six for Newcastle. Um, well, I think uh, uh, what what had happened in Newcastle was the fact that um, you know we had players like, well, of course, Shearer and and Ferdinand that were excellent in the box, whereas um, you know we we did have a threat with the lads at Man City. But I was normally at Newcastle, the kind of decoy run. Whereas when we had players like Kevin Harlock and Mark Kennedy, who could put in a fantastic ball with a left foot, that would aim for me. I'd, I'd basically sort of say, "Listen, I'd be in this area, so put it in that area, and I'll try and get try and get amongst it." Um, and ultimately, you know, th- their quality helped me score them goals because if it wasn't for their fantastic balls in the box, I wouldn't be able to score them. Yeah. Um your goal at Old Trafford as well. I want to want to quickly ask you about that because um I don't know if you know this, that, that was that was only City's second Premier League goal at Old Trafford. Um that's how badly City have been doing in the years before that. Okay. Um, and and you got a one all draw out of it as well. Yeah, I mean, in all fairness, if I'm being brutally honest, we got absolutely battered that day. And um and I think I think they could have put us down if we'd getting beat. Uh and it was Dicky uh, of all people with a corner, and it just kind of seemed to miss everybody. Managed to just stick my leg out and get get that. Um, as I said, I think they could have put us down because obviously we were struggling that particular time. Um, I think it was the week after we went to Ipswich, and I think we win in one nil. Sean Gord, I think we got beat two one, um, but obviously we didn't want them to get the bragging rights of of sending us down. Um, yeah, they were the big stars. They were the big names. But somehow we managed to get a draw. Yeah, and that that game is also uh, the infamous Roy Keane challenge on on Alfie yeah. Harland. Uh, did you see it? Were you nearby? I don't think you couldn't help but see it. To be quite honest, as I said, I think everybody knew it was coming. They knew there was history there of what what happened because obviously with Alfie and 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 Roy with my new and Leeds. Um, I mean, my opinion was on this, and it's just my my opinion. I think obviously Alfie, when he played for Leeds, was just trying to shepherd it out. I think Keane is trying to lash out. He's caught Alfie. He's obviously hurt his knee. I don't think Alfie is aware of how bad the injury is. That's when he goes down and obviously has a has a word with Roy Keane because them matches are, are massively, you know, in, intensive as well. And I think because of that, Roy's obviously thought, well, Roy certainly hadn't forget, forgotten it. Um, as I said, it was just it's just a bad thing that happened and for some reason um, went where it was the real animosity, certainly from, from Roy Keane's side. Um, just did not forget that. And as I said, I think for me personally, I, it wasn't a great challenge from him on Alfie. Kind of hurt himself, but Alfie didn't realise he was hurt. And of course, as I said, it's spilt out. We pretty much knew in the tunnel at some stage something was going to happen. Uh, and of course, when Roy Keane made that challenge, 
Um, he wasn't even waiting for the referee. He was just walking and taking the armband off. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Ipswich as well. Um, there's there's obviously the knowledge that City are struggling that season, and uh, you know it's a real fight, and it's almost the it's almost a case of the inevitable at uh, at various points in the season. Um, it still doesn't mean that it it's not painful when it's confirmed and the relegation is uh, relegation actually happens. What was it like walking off the pitch at Portman Road, knowing that that you were down? Devastating. Um... I I hadn't been relegated before. I was at Newcastle when they'd been relegated, um, but I wasn't like a re- I wasn't a, like a, a main player. I mean, I made my debut at seventeen at Man United, um, and, but the team had already been relegated. I wasn't really a feature of the team um, until really Kevin came in. I mean, ov- obviously Ozzy was the manager, but I was a bit part of play. I wasn't playing. That much. I mean, obviously, you still take responsibility because you're part of the squad. Um, but being kind of one of the main players that have played a, a good few games for, for for the team, you obviously take a lot of responsibility for it. And the, all lads did. And we just knew that we weren't good enough. But I think what we had to look upon it is: listen, it's a valuable experience. It's something we don't want want to happen again to us personally, but also as a team, and certainly not like a club like. Manchester City because they deserved and the fans deserved to be, um, you know, up there playing in the best league. I mean, there's no given right for any team or any set of fans. Um, but at the same time, the the loyalty that they'd showed the club all the way through getting getting to that point, obviously it was a it was a huge setback, but it was one where we'd gone we'd gone away. We talked about it, we reset, and we come back, and it, it just went from strength from strength to strength from there. Yeah, um, and obviously the uh, you mentioned joining City and having um, kind of followed their rise back through the divisions. Um, ultimately, that relegation meant that that Joe Royal lost his job. What mm-hmm. what what did that mean for you? I mean, as a as a fairly new signing, it, it, is it quite hard having a manager lose his job pretty soon into your time there? Well, yeah, yeah of course, because he's the he's the manager that's brought me in, and I'm part of the problem. Um, but what I have to do is to make sure that I'm now going to be part of the solution. Whichever manager came in, I wasn't sure who it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not nice. I mean, obviously, in my playing career, I've seen some brilliant managers lose their jobs because of certain circumstances. Um, the ones at Newcastle, it wasn't because we were getting relegated. It was just because of different different circumstances. This one, obviously, they wanted a, the, the, the club wanted to go down a different route. Um, I, I just happened to get a phone call. I was in I was in San Francisco and I got a phone call just sort of saying, Kevin's the manager. And I was like, right, okay. And obviously I had a fantastic time with him at Newcastle. Now now I'm getting text messages off, off all the lads. What's he like? What's he like? What's he like? And I'm I'm basically cutting pacing it because I'm just thinking I'm not re- wasted. I'm just telling the same thing. So I'm like replying. And in the end, my Mrs. my wife showed me how to cut and paste. So I was just sending the answers back to the lads, like you know, he, he, this is what he's like, um, you know. So, and to be fair, it pretty much turned out that way. Yeah, I was going to say, what what was he like as a defender playing in the Kevin Keegan team? Is it is it hard because he he likes to attack, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. I mean, as I said, Kevin at Newcastle, it was a case of, you know, he, he you know defend. 
But at the same time, he had no problem. I mean, if I was playing with, like, say, Steve Watson or Rob Elliott or, or Warren Barton or John Burrisford, they, they're the fullbacks, and I've got Philippe Barbet alongside me, I know for a fact I am going to be the only defender because the rest of them will just leave and they'll bomb on. Um, I would have maybe another one next to me if it was Darren Peacock, for instance. Um, and I knew also um, that, as I said, he was one of these where it was a case of they've earned, the, you know, they've, they've got hard-earned money here that you they've come to watch you um, go and entertain them. Go and give them something to talk about and be happy about when they leave the ground, whether that's home or away. I mean, Kevin came in, he brought in Darren Huckabee. I mean, Hooks never had a good time under Kevin when when he was at Newcastle. Um, but we had, I mean, the, the team that we had, when you think about it, was absolutely fantastic. And I, I'd said to Dunny at one stage, whether Dunny remembers it or not, I can remember standing at Newcastle as a centre-half when, when we had the players that we had and being in that ground and just thinking how, how lucky I am to be to be where I am. But I didn't really grasp it and take it in. Just kind of, not took it for granted, but was just, well, this is the way it is. And it's not. It's not in a million years is it the way it is. So there was one time I was stood next to Dunny and Main Road was absolutely packed. And we've got, you know, Wrighty doing his thing on one side, Hooks doing his thing. You've got, um, you know, whether it was Ali Benabio, Al Berkovic, Hooks, uh, sorry, um, Kevin Horlock or Danny Tiato. You know, you've got Janssen and you've got Dickie, Wongchok, um, Gorda, um, Anelka, all these kind of players. I mean, I've probably missed a couple of others, but just wonderful players to look at and just think, wow, the touch football, the movement. And, it, and at some stages, you just felt a little bit sorry for the teams that come to me and roll because they're <laughs> just getting absolutely pumped. Yeah, did um, did you know that that was coming with uh, when Kevin Keegan w- arrived? Did you did you know earlier than anybody else in that dressing room? Maybe that because you'd worked with him before, kind of what he was going to bring to the squad, what he could get out of the players that you had there. I knew we would give it a good go. I knew with Kevin's the way that Kevin was, the 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 type of football would change, uh, the personnel would change, um, and he would bring a. As I said, he would bring a different brand of football. Um, but but what Kevin is, and it's the same. It, it happens at every club, you know. Likes everybody does really well, but there comes to a point where now he's looking. All right, you've done fantastic for us. I'm going to get somebody better. You've done fantastic for us. I'm going to get somebody better in that position. And it's heartbreaking, really, because you're thinking. But that's just football. That's what happens. Yeah. How did you end up moving on? What uh, what what's the story behind you? Uh, you moving on from City. I had a disagreement with the manager, um, which which tends to happen. I think in hindsight, it was it was probably my fault, a little bit his, I have to say. But the fact I think a, a big big a big point was my uh, my uh, problem, my fault. Um, and again, it was just one of them things. So I had, I mean, I was at more or less two clubs really throughout my career, um, and then I went to Leicester. Um, because I think Leicester were a team that was coming up as well and, and wanting to strengthen it. But Leicester, I'd looked at them, you know, that they had had a team which had been renowned for their centre-halves in likes of Jerry Taggart and Steve Walsh and uh, Matt Elliott. Um, but 
having speaking to Mickey Adams, he wanted to kind of go a different way. Um, and I knew my time. I knew I wasn't going to get much game time at City. And I think at certain points, well, every point in your career, really, let's be honest, sort of footballer, you want to play. And I just didn't think I'd get much game time because of the disagreement. Um, and I just thought, well, you know, might as well, might as well go to Leicester. Might as well, you know, try it there. <clears throat> Again, a, a little thing. I was obviously settled at Manchester. My wife and my kids were settled uh, where we lived, and I found it tough because I was having to really commute from Manchester to Leicester every day, there and back, there and back, which kind of took its toll, which didn't help me and that manager situation, and that didn't last very long either. Again. Yeah. Um, what uh, do you mind me asking? What the disagreement was with Keegan? Was it uh, was it around um, kind of appearances and, and playing time, that sort of thing? We were I th- we were playing a t- playing away, and on the morning it wasn't. I don't think it was a long journey. Uh, and he had asked me if I would go on the bench, and I said no. And um, he basically sort of said, "I think you should rethink that," and I, I more or less said no. I'll be brutally honest. It wasn't. I wasn't using the words no. <laughs> um, but um, you know, Arthur Cox, who was brilliant, Derek was actually amazing. You know, they were like, "Listen, you need to think about this." And I was like, "No, I think I've been playing well. I, I, I deserve to play." To be fair to Kevin, he was like, I, "I'm basically. Play- I'm just trying to give you a rest. I'm just trying to look after the squad and stuff like that." But I, I wasn't one of them. I'm like, "I'm fit. I'm playing well. I'm. I. I, I want to play." Because this rotation wasn't really happening then. And I've just been used to, if you're fit and you're the like number one at that particular time or number two, that, that, that's the settle back four. Well, that's the settle back four. That's it. You know, unless there's an injury, that's the way it is. Um, I didn't take too well to it. And I think Gerard came in and I love Gerard. I had nothing against Gerard at all. I thought he was a fabulous player and a great lad. He came in, and I think Gerard might have gotten injured, and that because in the end, Kevin told me to go home and stay home, so I didn't even travel. And I was like, right, fine, okay, no problem. Um, so as I said, it was kind of my fault and his fault, so I didn't travel. I was quite prepared to travel, um, but as I said, he asked me to go on the bench, and I said no. So he's Kevin's actually thinking, well, what's the point of you travelling if you're not going to go on the bench? And I think Gerard got injured, and we didn't have a replacement. Um and the team got beat. And of course, that's you know, I'm at fault for that as well. So when I came in on the Monday, i I had to go and see him and Kevin was furious, absolutely furious. Which understandably so. We've spoke about it afterwards, you know. And we both were it's the Brian Clough thing. It's like, you know, you can come to me at any time and we can discuss it and we'll both agree that I was right in the first place. <laughs> that was the Kevin Keegan thing. So yeah, I accepted it. I wasn't happy, but that's a decision sometimes you make at the heat of the moment. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was former City defender Steve Howie speaking to me this week. If you'd like to hear the full interview, that's available now on our Patreon page. We talk more about the Kevin Keegan promotion season, playing with Ali Benabia and Ayle Berkovic. Plus, there's more about his move to Main Road as well. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast to sign up and give it a listen. It'll also be available in full for free at the end of the season on bluemoonpodcast.com. We're going to finish with a couple of quick listener questions. Uh, get in touch on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can also email through the website as well, Podcast. 
podcast.com. Ollie Kilcoyne has been in touch on the emails to say, I was watching some old videos of Roberto Mancini's City the other day and it got me thinking. Now that time has passed since his antics off the field and given his impact at City and that he always seems to speak positively about his time here, should the club do more to honour Yaya Torre's achievements? Um... Okay, so he, he, he does seem to be like the forgotten man of that early kind of City takeover era, doesn't he? Who, Yaya Torre? I mean, in terms of, of retrospective, um, kind of how he's viewed now. When you look at, at like the statues and stuff outside the Etihad, Silver, Company, Aguero, and like like without Torre, none of it all happens. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think everyone, well, the majority of City fans that... Um, are of age that that watched Yaya from start to finish. Um, I don't think anyone doubts him uh, from a fan perspective of just how um, monumentous he was. Like he was an unbelievable player, and I'd argue probably probably the second or third best um, out of out of those four. Um, but yeah, I just it, it's just it's just not going to happen, is it? Um, I think a line's sort of been drawn under it. Have they given him? Uh, they give him a pitch, or something. I think he's got a training pitch. Yeah, he's got a pitch named after him, and I think I he's think got that... a mosaic as well. Yeah, and it was underplanted <laughs> with begania, which is uh, elephant's ears, and uh, the common name, possibly <laughs> a reference to the Ivory Coast. I think I mentioned that on the show before. Um, but the, the, the... <laughs> sorry, it's just it, Chris every now and then delves into horticulture, and I just love it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, yeah, that, that's a common theme of this show, isn't it? Actually, with the horticultural stuff. Yeah. Um, but but generally speaking, with Brian you, I... horticulture, I, I had exactly that same thought. I don't know. I just didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, <sighs> Sorry, Casey. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, all right. Yeah, uh, yeah, he was good. Um, no, uh, but yeah, no. <laughs> Great answer so far. I mean, <laughs> I just so, googled monumentous. By the way, is that a word? I don't think it's a word, but I let it slip as well. <laughs> okay, right. So it could be. They, I mean, it could be. A it word, should be. And then, yeah, it should be. And you could yeah. be the first citation of it. Yeah, like, Collins' new word back, suggestion. Bounce back ability or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. So anyway, yeah, yeah, it's all right. I think <laughs> draw a line under it. I think probably the second or third best player out of those four. But the thing is, like, with with the statue thing, because of how good we are, where where are we where are we going to draw the line with statues? Yeah, there'll just be there'll be hundreds of them outside the stadium, won't there? Exactly, exactly. Um, like you know, you think in five or ten years' time, people are going to want one of you know, Rodri, uh, Stones, you know, ev- you know everyone. Yeah, but just like uh, the terracotta army just outside the uh, outside the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. What probably would have made more sense is is if they'd waited until all four had gone and did one of the four of them together. Um, but. We could have like a waxworks museum, you know, and just have like a squad rotation basis in the museum. <laughs> and the, you know, when it's an anniversary of something, Torre does wheel that one out. Just a thought. Yeah. Yeah. Madam, Madam Two Torres. Oh. Yeah. Does that work? No. <laughs> Not really. But, well, I mean, we've, we've, we've said a lot worse on this show already. So, I mean, yeah. well, it'd work if you had like, um, Colo and Yaya on the, <laughs> that, on the that, advertising. That, 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 was, that, that was the intention, yeah. 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 Hey, you're right about for yourself for, for Torre. Do you think uh, City could do more to honour his achievements? Well, I mean, I suppose the, that raises another question, like how, with what? Is it another statue or, I mean... 
make it a bigger mosaic. I, he has it, time might have passed, and he has done some amazing things for us. But you know, he, he did also kind of sully that um, with the help of uh, his agent at the time, and it's. <laughs> Yeah, because I've been racking my brains here trying to think of what else you could do. Naming a bar after him would be offensive. Yeah, um, you could. You couldn't name. I don't think you you could name a stand after him. It's probably too much, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I just I just don't know where what else you can do really. Like I don't think what they've done is enough, but I don't think I don't see what else they could do that would be worthy enough. Yeah, and also I kind of um, without wishing to just be contrary. Um, get out of it that's you all over no it isn't <laughs> um, I just think that, is he is he underrated no I, yeah that's what I mean I don't think he's underrated by by fans or anything like that I think it's more the the, the club have the club done enough to recognize him I suppose yeah I mean Oli Kilcoyne didn't say he was underrated for the record so I'm not saying that he did but um yeah I don't know I it's, it's I think we've done just about all that, that can be done and to do something at this stage would be maybe a bit weird yeah i know this is uh this is not what ollie asked but uh, there is another name in that question that uh, maybe hasn't had the recognition he deserved and that's mancini okay so do you, could you could you could you see a situation where bridges are repaired i i i can't see it but yeah i, I I'd, I'd name the ground after him do you know what i mean um i absolutely love mancini um I, I wouldn't name the ground at the ground after him. Just I was just being, you know, I was just exaggerating. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I, I absolutely love Mancini. But I think again, it'd be weird to do it now. I think with, you know, with the time passed and everything, and certainly uh, what while what Guardiola's achieving is happening. Ex- exactly. Yeah, I think it'd be nice at some point, maybe in the future, if they did, you know, sort of reconcile issues and maybe became like a club ambassador in his older age or something like that. Um, you know, that'd be nice to see. But other than that, I, I can't see what else they'd do. Yeah. Um, Steve O'Brien has been in touch on the emails as well to say, uh, are these tiresome international breaks a part of why City tend to start more hesitantly than we become in the second half of the season when we're playing together week in, week out, later into the campaigns? Um, and Chris, I, I wondered if there was something in this because you think of when City build up their momentum in a season. It is when there's no international breaks. It's when you've got a game every three days and you it's kind of like that win or bust situation. Um, and you look at, at where they are now at the moment. You kind of you, you don't have that same pressure on games. And every kind of four or five weeks or so, there's a, br- a break where all the players go off to play for the national teams. Why? Why does that only apply to us? That's a good question that I haven't thought about. <laughs> so to answer a question with a question, but everybody, I mean, at the top level, all the teams that we're competing against have a high percentage of internationals. So. You know, international players, so the same should apply to them. Um, maybe we've got more a higher level of international that get more game time, and it impacts them more. I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I personally don't really mind the international period that much, especially being um, being English. Um, if England are playing, you tend to get to be able to see quite a lot of our players anyway. Um, some of our players that you don't normally get to see. <laughs> I was going to say that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and as a football fan, you know, if we didn't have the international breaks, you'd only have the, the City games. So it's basically more football um, with our players. So I don't necessarily personally find it that much I, of a... I, I, uh, I agree. 
I, I agree with that for nearly every for nearly every international break. The only one that always pisses me off is the one that's literally straight after the season started. Yeah, yeah, that is a bit of a ball buster. And then I think it's the frequency as well. The, the placement of them can be annoying. I don't agree with, I don't disagree with them in principle and quite actually quite enjoy them. And if you, you know, it gives you time in the season to take a break yourself and get some, uh, you know, other stuff done. But yeah, like I say, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't not enjoy them. I don't, I enjoy them. I don't, I tolerate them. I don't hate them. Um, I've no idea that, what you think of them. <laughs> oh, 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 well, we could just go down like you know the you know the Richard Keys fo- you know good football man response and just say they're all a bunch of softies these days and the paid the paid loads like they should be playing every day and all that crap. Yeah, we? yeah, pay a million, me a million pound a year, I'd play every day. Pay, play, yeah. pay me two million pound a year, I'd play every six hours. Pay me five million <laughs> pounds a year and I'd play twenty four hours a day every day of the year. That's how it goes with that one, isn't it? Yeah, I don't. But, um, I, I I wonder, Casey, if there's if there's something more in um, it being that it's that the reason City are better in the second half of the season is that it's win or bust for most games, which it just isn't at the moment. I, th- I think I think it's one, undoubtedly one of the factors, but I think it's also the case that um, you know the fact that it's win or bust for other teams, like you know we've seen with Arsenal, they just couldn't handle it last year. Um, and then on top of that as well, I think it's. It takes it takes a while for players to get into the groove of a season as well, you know. After a break, um, I know, like I mentioned earlier, we've had a good start on that, but you wouldn't say you know we're operating at optimum levels or anywhere near it really at the moment. But we're still churning out results. Yeah, I think one of the factors with us is that Pep does like um, like a reboot, doesn't he? he? Likes a bit of a reinvention. So part of it might be just the team grappling with the way he's decided to reinvent. The way that they play, <laughs> reinvented the wheel again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one's got this one's a hexagon with little bells on it. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, on that note, we're going to call it there. Um, that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests for this one, Casey. Good luck at it in that Mooney. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> give it a good go. It might take all day, but I'll give it a good go. And Chris Higginbottom pleasure as always thanks for having me and cheers for the massive big ups on the goal don't edit that out i might not i might edit that out now so that just sounds like you've been really weird at the end of the show but you know we'll find out when you when you get to listen to it stay tuned for a clip of this week's patreon show i'll be back next week to preview the manchester derby see you then That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. It's interesting that you've both ranked the uh, Real Madrid exit in 2022 in your uh, top three. Um, and that, I, I'm wondering, Richard, if you've ranked it slightly higher for the guilt of having considered that City were already through. Because <laughs> I know you already thought City were through. Well, thanks for throwing that in there. Because I, <laughs> you've referenced it a few times since. And like until you reference it, I managed to suppress it as a memory. Um, I, yeah, I I fully thought when Mara scored at the Bernabeu, I thought City were through. It's up there for me for pure um, for pure disbelief. I think my comments in our WhatsApp were along the lines of, 
what is Pep already planning for the final? Can you imagine what he's going to do or what he's going to overthink? Before their first goal, as like the sort of build up to the goal, I was typing in Skyscanner on my phone, like looking <laughs> for flights to Paris. That's how much I'd sort of like counted my chickens before they'd hatched. And I, I still feel terrible about that. I don't think it was my fault or anything, but I just think like that was like a moment of hubris that I will always remember, like when I think that a game's won before it actually is. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>